This episode of Fried Egg Stories is brought to you by the U.S. Women's Open. Uh, For the first time in its history, the U.S. Women's Open will be held at the iconic Olympic Club in San Francisco. Tune in June 3rd through the 6th to watch history unfold and find out who will get to call themselves the greatest in the game. You can find scores and all sorts of fun content on uswomensopen.com. The fried egg requires a different technique. What you need to do is actually square the face so it'll dig down underneath that bad lie and propel that ball right out onto the green. Here's the thing. Playing out of a buried lie in a bunker is completely different than playing out of a nice, clean lie in a greenside bunker. You need to be aggressive on any shot, whether it's sitting cleanly or it's a a fried egg. Well, we've all faced it, the dreaded fried egg. It's not to be feared, though. It's actually a pretty easy shot to hit. We're at Half Moon Bay Golf Links. It is about 7.30 in the morning. Half Moon Bay is a little town on the coast of California between San Francisco and Santa Cruz. It's known as the home of this terrifying surf spot called Mavericks, where earlier this year, a guy named Peter Mel caught maybe the greatest big wave of all time. Just this massive, perfectly formed tube that Mel rode in the most daring way possible. And what made it even more incredible is that Peter Mel is 51 years old way past his supposed prime, but for about 20 seconds on that monster near Half Moon Bay, he was ageless. Golf is obviously a less dangerous sport, but like surfing, it can feel like a battle against nature, whether that's earth and the elements or your own unreliable aging body. It's late April, and the reason I'm at Half Moon Bay Golf Links is for a qualifying tournament. 73 players have registered, and the top three after 36 holes will get to play in the 2021 U.S. Women's Open at Olympic Club in San Francisco. Half Moon Bay doesn't have a driving range, so everyone's doing what they can with a little practice area. Putting green, a couple of chipping greens. It's very much a mixed crowd. You've got some juniors, some college players, got a few tour pros. But suddenly, a very familiar face appears. You know, I, I'm just curious what you were hoping from the day, what were, what you were thinking about just in that moment right before you started your first round of the day. Just fairways and greens. Try to hit as many fairways and greens uh, as I could. That's Julie Inkster, California native, Hall of Famer, seven-time major champion. The last of her two U.S. Women's Open titles came 19 years ago at Prairie Dunes. And here she is at Half Moon Bay trying to qualify at the age of 60. And her playing partners, they're a little younger. One is 16 years old and the other is 15. I'm Garrett Morrison, and this is Friday Stories. On today's episode, a story of generations coming together at a U.S. Women's Open qualifier but also a story of USGA qualifying as an institution and an idea, what it means to the players and to American golf. So the qualifying process, whether it's for the Open Championship or the US Open, it's one of those things that bubbles up into the golf fans' consciousness maybe a couple of times a year. 
you know, when somebody famous gets through or somebody really young or really old. But championship qualifiers are sneakily some of the most dramatic tournaments in all of golf. The stakes are very high and very clear. Place in the top three or the top five or whatever it is, and you'll suddenly be in the field for one of the biggest tournaments in the world. So going to this U.S. Women's Open qualifier at Half Moon Bay was about seeing that kind of drama, seeing how Julie Inkster fared, how her teenage playing partners dealt with it all. But it was also about finding out why the qualifier is important in the world of golf, what its meaning is, what its value is. So first I talked to the person who kind of oversees the whole system. Garrett. How's it going, John? It's good. It's been a mad dash of a day. That's John Bodenhammer. Uh, I have the privilege of serving as uh, Senior Managing Director of Championships for the USJ. And John has his own history as a qualifying hopeful. As a young boy growing up, it was always my dream to play in the USO. After picking the range and cleaning the carts at the club I grew up at, uh, I would always play the first three holes home. You know, whether it was a 30-footer, a 15-footer, or a three-footer, that putt as the sun was going down was always for one thing for me, was to win the U.S. Open. And I think for about 10 or 12 years, I always tried to qualify for the U.S. Open, local, sectional. I got to sectional qualifying in those days. It's now final qualifying twice. And I got within one stroke of a playoff in 1982 to play at Pebble Beach. And a teammate of mine, Dick Zokel, and a, and a gentleman, a good player in the Pacific Northwest, the Seattle area at that time, Elwin Fanning, qualified. And I missed that playoff by one stroke. But it always was an inspiration to me to play in U.S. Open qualifying because the Open always meant the most to me. So for John, U.S. Open qualifying, U.S. Women's Open qualifying, is about that childhood dream. It doesn't matter what your background is, what it, what your address was growing up, what type of clubs in your bag, the type of clothes on your back, or the shape of your swing, uh, or the color of your skin, or the or your religious background, or not. It just really matters. If you can get your ball in the hole in the fewest number of strokes in qualifying, you earn your right to play. And I think it really embodies the values of our country, the meritocracy that that represents, the democracy, the openness, the inclusivity. And uh, we're very proud to uh, represent all of those values. So the qualifier is doing a lot of work for the USGA because golf at the elite level, at the major championship level, is an exclusive club in a lot of ways. Very hard to break into, even if you're really good. But the qualifier is supposed to be different. It's supposed to be a truly level playing field, a kind of symbolic version of the American dream. It is precisely what's supposed to be open about the U.S. Open. And there's plenty of history to support that idea. You, you have Jack Fleck advancing through qualifying in 1955 and beating Ben Hogan in a playoff at Olympic Club. And you have Lee Trevino, who basically used the U.S. Open qualifying system as a launching pad for his career. He's among the most inspirational stories of, you know, really earning your way into the U.S. Open. Trevino was a, a club pro from El Paso when he qualified in 1966. He made the cut, qualified again in 67, placed fifth, earned his exemption for the 68 U.S. Open, which he won at Oak Hill. Is your United States Open champion. And similar things have happened at the U.S. Women's Open, where sectional qualifying has been around since 1976. Think of 2005. A qualifier named Birdie Kim holes out from a bunker to win at Cherry Hills. Get it there. 
and tied for second behind her are two amateur qualifiers, Brittany Lang and Morgan Pressel, both of whom go on to become major champions themselves. But beyond the obvious spectacular results, there are many more stories of players who simply qualify, get solid finishes, and use it as a jumping off point. That's NB Park at the 2007 U.S. Women's Open, where she finished fourth. It's Lexi Thompson in 2010 and Brooke Henderson in 2014. These were career-establishing moments, enabled by the institution of the qualifier. So last year, when the USGA canceled qualifying in the face of the COVID-19 pandemic, there was a noticeable void in the golf world. Boy, we missed it. We missed it terribly. We, we as the USGA, had to develop from scratch a process that uh, identified a field. But, but let me tell you, Garrett, it was heartbreaking to make that decision. Qualifying is part of our DNA. It's, 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 it's part of what makes our championships so special, the ability to follow your dream. And now, USGA qualifying is back. It's one of those small glimmers of hope that 2021 has brought. And that's really what drew me out to Half Moon Bay on April 26th. It had been a hard year. I just wanted to see some dreams come true. I'm Julie. Hi, I'm Harper. Harper, nice to meet you. Matt. Hey, Matt, nice, nice to, to meet you. you. I did want to make sure. It's a little after 8 o'clock, and there's a group around the first tee. You've got some officials from the Northern California Golf Association, which is running the qualifier. You've got players and caddies, friends and family. And for the group that's about to tee off, a few media. I'll take the Harper right here. I mean, at first I just thought she, they were going to call out everybody's names, just kind of like how they always do. That's Harper Clements, 16 years old, and she's paired with Julie Inkster. And when they announced her, they called out all her titles that she's won. <laughs> and that was a little shocking. You look around at all the people and you're going, oh, I'm playing with the player that has actually won this tournament before. The winner of the 1999 and 2002 U.S. Women's Open, Julie Inkster. But this actually wasn't the first time Harper had met Julie. Yeah, so I used to every year go to the A&A Inspiration Tournament, or what used to be the Dinah Shore, because my family had a house down there, and I would go and watch the players, and I would a lot of times wait for them to come off the 18th hole, hoping to get a signed ball or something. And when I went there, she took off the glove that she had come out of scoring wearing, and she signed it, and she handed it to me. I was about 10, I think, at the time, and that was really cool. It was something that I didn't, I didn't expect that she was going to give it to me. I was just thinking I was going to be like one of the other kids and just get a signature on a flag. So that was really cool, really special. And at Half Moon Bay, in Harper's red golf bag, is that signed glove from Julie Inkster. She kept it all these years, and she's planning to show it to Julie. But first, they have to play. From San Jose, California, please welcome Kara Romero. At the, on the tee box, I was actually really nervous. That's Kiara Romero, 15 years old and the third member of Inkster's group. When I was hitting, there were like 10 people watching, filming, and like everybody was there. And I think that's like the most people that were watching me on the first tee, so it was a little overwhelming and stuff. She said, she told me after it was the most nervous she's ever been in her life. That's Rick, Kiara's dad. I asked him to join us for the interview. She went immediately after Julie. So it was like, and now on the tee box, Kiara after, after Julie Inkster just hit her tee shot. So 
I think at 15, I'd be pretty darn nervous too. I keep having to remind myself that Kiara is 15 because she carries herself like an LPGA pro. You know, steady demeanor, sharp Nike outfit, strict pre-shot routine, and she's a heck of a player. I think last year, my whole year was really good. For my local tournaments, I was player of the year for JTNC. What does that stand for? Junior Tour of Northern California. Gotcha. She was like one of the youngest to actually win player of the year. Golf is at the center of Kiara's life. She's been going to online school since eighth grade, pre-pandemic, basically, in order to accommodate her travel and practice schedule. I usually wake up at like seven, work out for an hour, and then eat breakfast and do schoolwork for as, as like much as I can. And then we go to the golf course around 12, practice for two to three hours, and then play 18 holes, and then come home and just finish the rest of my schoolwork. So Kiara is no ordinary junior. She's a contender in this qualifier. If she has two good rounds, she could get one of those three spots at the U.S. Women's Open. From San Francisco, California, please welcome Harper Clement. Harper has a different mindset going in. So my goal was to break 85 both times because, one, it's like the hardest golf course I've ever played in a tournament. Now, make no mistake, Harper can play hard course as well. She's literally a junior merit member at Olympic Club. But she also goes to a high school that doesn't have a girls' golf team. And she could have played on the boys' team this year, but she decided to do field hockey instead. I'm the goalie, and we just, I just did it to make friends and to kind of play another sport in high school. So Harper's really in Half Moon Bay for the experience. To play as well as she can, but she has no real expectation of advancing against highly ranked juniors, LPGA pros, and Julie Inkster. Now, as for Julie... She's here for one very specific reason. Well, the only reason why I did it was because it was at Olympic Club. I've, I've grown up, you know, in the Bay Area my whole life, and Olympic Club has always been a great venue for Open, for the men. For the men. But this is the first time Olympic Club has hosted the U.S. Women's Open, and Julie sees real significance in that. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's, it's huge. I mean, whenever you can play iconic venues, I, I think it really ups the status of the competition and women's golf. You know, everybody knows the holes and how it's played and the fog and the history. It just helps tell the story. But I I didn't want to act for an exemption because I I just didn't feel like I deserved it. You know, I I wanted to qualify on my own. Have a good day, ladies. So the Inkster group sets off. And Kiara, who says she normally doesn't get nervous, is a little shaky in Julie's presence. I guess it affected my game for the, a little bit for the first few holes. Putting, I guess it affected the most, and I three-putted the first hole. <laughs> Kiara drops another shot on the second hole, but she isn't the only one who's struggling on the greens. My putting was horrible. You know, when you haven't played in anything, no tournaments or anything, it's hard to get the competitive juices. Julie bogeys the second, and suddenly Harper Clements is beating Julie Inkster with pars. I thought she was going to blow me out of the water, if I'm being honest. (laughs) I was going to be four back after four holes. But by the end of the front nine, Harper falls back to Julie and Kiara. And everyone's battling a bit because, frankly, the course is tough. Half Moon Bay is really windy. Those greens, a lot of them can be really narrow, especially on some of the longer holes. So if you're not hitting an eight iron into the greens, you can't hold the green. You just don't have the shot. Mm-hmm. And 
and the greens weren't exactly smooth and the whole locations weren't exactly easy. I think my game was okay, but my putting was really struggling. She's typically a really outstanding putter and I think she was just, the speed was off a little bit and the greens were difficult. They were really fast, like three putters I would be hitting way too hard. I lipped out so many. Yeah, and it seemed like the pins were in some interesting spots too. Yeah, behind bunkers, like in the corners and stuff. It was hard to get to. I mean, they don't want you to be able to get a bunch of birdies. I mean, the goal of a U.S. Open is to shoot even. They want the leader to shoot even. So they don't want the pins to be accessible. They want them to be hard. At the end of the morning round, Harper has actually achieved her goal of breaking 85. She shoots 82. Julie and Kiara? Not as happy with their rounds. They're tied for 17th after shooting 77. Six over. The leader is at one under. But only seven players have broken 74 in the morning. So going into the afternoon round, Julie and Kiara, well, they're not exactly in it. They're definitely not out of it. All right, so this special episode of Fried Egg Stories is brought to you by the U.S. Women's Open. Athletes from all over the world vied for their spots at Olympic Club, and this week we'll see 156 players from 26 different countries compete to prove themselves on golf's greatest stage. So, TV schedule, Thursday and Friday, we've got primetime action from Olympic Club on Golf Channel, and on the weekend, NBC will be covering it in the afternoon with Golf Channel taking over in the evening on Saturday. Throughout the week, there will be featured groups and other streaming coverage on Peacock. And for results and additional coverage and all sorts of other cool stuff, go to uswomensopen.com. This is the U.S. Women's Open, the greatest in the game. So in the Half Moon Bay Clubhouse, there's a bar grill area with a big TV that they've set up to be a leaderboard. And among the leaders, I see a name I recognize. If you've heard about Lucy Lee, it's probably for a couple of different reasons. The first is that in 2014, when she was just 11 years old, she got through a qualifier for the U.S. Women's Open at Half Moon Bay. And when I say she got through it, I mean she won it by seven strokes. Pretty crazy. So in the morning, I started off, I was three over through like six holes, and I was like pretty upset about that. Lucy is 18 now, but she still remembers that day very well. And then I ended up playing the rest of the whole, whatever, 28 holes in like three under par. She was the youngest player ever to qualify for the U.S. Women's Open. And when she showed up at Pinehurst in pigtails and her American flag-themed outfit, Lucy became a bit of a media sensation. What was that like uh, as an 11-year-old? Was it one of those things that was kind of intimidating or were you young enough so that you were just kind of enjoying yourself? Yeah, I definitely was pretty young. So I was just kind of like, I took it as it came and I probably didn't fully comprehend um, what was going on. For example, she remembers being in the Pinehurst clubhouse after one of her rounds. I was watching like the NBA playoffs and they were like showing my highlights during the game. And I remember being like, oh, that I was like, they kept showing it like every like 10 minutes. I was like, oh, that's so funny, but it's kind of annoying because I want to watch the game. And so like looking back at that now, like I like that's so crazy to me that I had been um, on such a big platform. And I think at the, at the time, I, had, I didn't really fully comprehend it. Lucy went on to have an incredible junior career. But the other reason you might know about her is that a couple of years ago, she ran afoul of the USGA. Basically, she appeared in an ad for the Apple Watch. And while her family says she didn't get paid, 
the USDA found that she had breached a rule of amateur status and gave her a one-time warning. Some people thought that wasn't enough, and Lucy, as well as the USGA, took a lot of criticism, which, say what you want about it being self-inflicted, couldn't have been easy for Lucy as a 16-year-old. So that was early 2019. End of that year, Lucy decided to turn pro. She was 17, and she joined the Symmetra Tour, which is the feeder tour for the LPGA. But one tournament into the 2020 season, everything got put on hold because of COVID. It wasn't until August that the Symmetra Tour got back underway, and Lucy did play well, but because of the shortened season, she didn't really have a chance to move up. It was a little bit frustrating at that point to be like, you know, I really should be on the LPGA Tour at this point. Yes, I was definitely disappointed, but I knew going into that season that, you know, I probably was going to be playing another year in the Symmetra Tour. I think there's a lot of perspective in terms of, yeah, that sucked for me, but that year sucked so much more for everybody else. So Lucy's back on the Symmetra, and she's doing all right. She's 33rd on the money list, but she could use a break. And getting one of the three qualifying spots out of Half Moon Bay for the U.S. Women's Open, then doing well at Olympic Club, that would be a break. The day before the tournament, I remember feeling pretty nervous because I really, really wanted to play Olympic Club, and that's been my goal probably for the last few years. I mean, I, I really enjoy playing kind of, you know, Northern California, like, uh, that kind of golf, Olympic club kind of golf, where it's like, you know, tree-lined, and I knew that it would be a pretty good opportunity if I could get in. And so that's why I was really put a little more importance into this Open than uh, maybe others in the past. And so I felt really nervous, and that was actually the most nervous I'd probably felt in a really long time. In the morning, Lucy posts a decent two-over round. And in the afternoon, she makes the turn at three-over on the day, at this point, she's starting to check live scoring on her phone, and she sees that there's a handful of players hanging around where she is, between even par and a few over. They're the ones who are really in the mix for those three qualifying and two alternate spots. So I knew that I was close there, but I also knew that this is a course where, like, in the afternoon, like, when it gets windier, the scores can pick up, and they had some really tricky pins out there. Especially on the back nine, which is what Lucy played first in the afternoon, now she's on to the relatively scorable front nine, and she makes a birdie putt on the third hole, her 12th. She's two over. But the wind is picking up, and on the sixth hole, her 15th, she has an approach directly downwind. And I, I flushed it a little bit too much, and it just, like, it bounced over the green. There was, like, a group of 10 or 20 people behind the green on that hole, and they're all, like, it was so funny. I remember walking up to the green, and they're like, you got this. You're, she's totally going to, like, make part here or something. And I was, like, kind of upset about my second shot. And so I was, like, trying to, like, you know, you know focus. And I knew that that chip back there was really tough. She winds up with about a 10-footer to stay two over. This is her most important putt of the day. It's going to be a turning point one way or another. And she makes it. I'm standing next to one of her family members who lets loose with a big fist pump. And the crowd behind the green is enjoying it too. And then when I made the putt, they all started cheering, so that felt pretty good. Yeah. There weren't that many people, but they were being pretty loud. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But the round's not done. A couple of leaders have posted scores, one at one over, another at two over. And on the seventh hole, Lucy makes a bogey. On the eighth, her recovery from a greenside bunker looks like it's going in, but then it doesn't. It was right on the lip. Uh, well, like one more turn of the ball and that would have went in, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my goodness. And on the ninth hole, her last of the day, she has a five-foot putt for birdie. And so 
you know, I just, <laughs> I, I didn't, I didn't know, I don't know what happened on the putt. I hit an okay, I hit an okay stroke. I just, it just didn't go in. So after the round, you finished, you're walking off the green. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure if it was your family who was there with you. I believe they, I believe they were, right? Yeah. W- were you kind of checking in with them, looking at the leaderboard and, and, and sort of figuring things out? Yeah, I was checking the leaderboard the whole time. I was um, pretty heated after I missed that putt because <laughs> I was like, damn it, if I made it, I would, I felt a lot better because at that point, you know, some of the players hadn't finished yet. And so I was just checking up on the leaderboard and I just sat in my car for like, 50 minutes like just i don't know <laughs> like just being upset <laughs> and moping around i don't know lucy is at three over exactly in third place there are a couple of players close behind her who haven't finished yet and all she can do is wait and stew over the missed opportunities meanwhile julie Ingster's group is still on the course and while julie and harper clements have fallen back a bit chiara romero is making a bit of a charge i was like starting to get my game back i was hitting approaches closer, and my putting was a lot better. Like Lucy, Kiara is playing the easier front nine as her back nine, and she gets birdies on three and four. After my birdies, I thought, like, if I could just get a few more, maybe I'd have a chance and stuff. She's at seven over, and it's starting to look like five or six could be a playoff for an alternate spot. Remember, in addition to the three qualifiers out of Half Moon Bay, there will be two alternates. And alternates sometimes get in. And I've seen her catch fire where she can go pretty low and around. So I, I always had confidence that she was going to be somewhere within the vicinity. But then bogeys for Kiara on six and seven. And on number nine. The last hole I four putted, which happened like once in my whole life. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that must be nice, actually. Yeah. <laughs> When I was finished, I was pretty mad about that. I don't know how it happened. I mean, I just slipped out a three-footer and did it again, and I was like, okay, (laughs) not much you can do about it. Kiara finishes at 11 over, tied for 11th place. Two players at six over are the alternates. Kathleen Scavo, a pro and a former standout at the University of Oregon, is the medalist. Low score today with a plus one. Kelly Tan, an LPGA Tour player, is in second. And Lucy Lee, in third place, qualifies for the U.S. Women's Open for the third time as a teenager. Once you were certain that you were getting through, what went through your head? What were the feelings at that point? Um, <laughs> relief, probably. And then after that, I felt really excited. You know, when I started thinking forward to getting to play Olympic Club, I was really excited. Over by the scorer's table, Julie, Harper, and Kiara are wrapping things up. Julie shot 77-79. Harper struggled in her second round, and obviously Kiara was sad about her four-putt. Golf is hard. Sometimes it just doesn't work out. But everyone's kind of keeping it light. Harper approaches Julie, and she has the glove Julie gave her all those years ago at Mission Hills. I had just asked her if I could take a picture because I wanted to remember the moment, obviously, and I wanted to show her the glove that I had brought along and kept in my bag with me all day. 
after the round, I sent her a thank you card and my glove that I played with that round and I signed it. <laughs> yeah, she, she was really cute. I signed a glove for her a long time ago and she sent me in the mail, she sent me a signed glove by her. So when she gets to be a big star, she'll ha I'll have her glove. So I thought that was really cute. There we go. You should have her sign it again. Great. <laughs> Just, all right, good luck. <laughs> and then it's Kiara's turn. After um, I asked to take a picture with her, and then she goes, hey, this is a future champion right here. And that was like, wow. Future star right here. Yeah. yeah, she's a good player. Yeah, she's going to be good for a while. I mean, I didn't even start until I was 15. So she's got a bright future ahead of her, that's for sure. I mean, for a champion to say that, a champion of the U.S. Open, a Hall of Famer to say that to me, like, it inspired me to just keep playing and competing and practicing, working hard. Um, you know, I just couldn't wait to get home and put my feet up and have a cocktail. <laughs> <laughs> it's a long walk. It, it's, it, it's no joke. It's not. It took forever to play. Oh, my God. Julie says this was her last U.S. Women's Open qualifier, so it's worth reflecting for a minute on the amazing arc of her career. She starts when she's 15, qualifies for her first U.S. Women's Open three years later, wins majors at ages 23, 24, and 28. Then she has kids, and her golf career kind of stalls for a few years. But somehow in her late 30s, into her 40s, she gets even better than she was in her 20s. It was kind of like, you know, kind of a tale of two careers, you know, one before kids. Well, really three, one in, in the middle when I had kids <laughs> and then after kids. So it wasn't always smooth sailing. That's for sure. Um, you know, I had a lot of struggles, a lot of down years. Traveling with kids when you're young and they don't, they didn't have daycare out there and it, it was just a lot going on. So, but you know what, I wouldn't have changed it for anything. You know, my kids love to travel. I mean, they're like my best friends. We got a great relationship. Um, I'm squeaking the toy because we got a puppy. Okay. If you hear some squeaks in the back, it's just the puppy toy. And after it all, after the seven majors spread across three decades, after the kids and the puppies, Julie Inkster still wants to grind out a 36-hole qualifier at age 60 because she believes that the Olympic Club Open is an important moment for women's golf. And she's playing alongside two young women who weren't even born the last time she won a major. And somehow she gives both of them what they're looking for. And they're looking for really different things. You know, Kiara, this is how she answered without hesitation when I asked what she loves about golf. The competition. I just really love playing against other people, testing my ability and winning. And so it's not surprising that Kiara saw that competitiveness reflected back at her in Julie. It was pretty cool to see someone that's been playing golf her whole life to just want to still compete. Yeah, I mean, it's it's got to be like, you know, the fact that she's 60 and she's still grinding away. Like, Yeah, it's like definitely something I would want to do. And then there's Harper, who would like to play college golf, but ultimately it's not about competition for her. I think that golf has the ability to grow different aspects of your life outside of it. So not only can you make network connections with other people, it teaches you patience. Plus it's something I enjoy and it's 
a nice way to just relax and enjoy something, so. And at this point in Julie's life, that's basically where she is, too. I just, I play because I like to play. I don't play because I want to play in these competitions. Right. So after all these years, golf is still fun for you. Yeah, I love it. It's a lot of fun. So to go back to my initial question, why is the qualifier important in the world of golf? Part of the answer is certainly what John Bodenhammer talks about. The idea that anyone can qualify. If you're good enough, you get a seat at the table. But looking at the results of the Half Moon Bay qualifier, the players who got through are more or less who you'd expect. Three professional golfers, including Lucy Lee, who did this when she was 11. No surprises there. So maybe a way to think about it is that the qualifier isn't so much about the dream or the Cinderella story. Like, those do happen, but usually the spots are going to go to pros in their prime, the ones who are neither very young nor very old. Most of the time, for most of the competitors, the qualifier is just about being there, in the same tournament as a legend like Julie Inkster, and taking something away from that, something inspirational, or maybe just some kind of small but important marking point in your career. You see, the qualifier is a place of both beginnings and endings. It's where potential stars can be born, and it's where former stars sometimes fade away. I think it's important for a lot of these kids to be able to have the opportunity to try to qualify and play against the best and see how they stack up. Whether you're going to be a pro or not a pro or just the opportunity of playing a great golf course and playing against great competition. And then there's always that chance, right? The big maybe. Maybe something incredible could happen. This episode of Friday Egg Stories was produced by me, Garrett Morrison, with transcript assistance from Meg Atkins. Our executive producer is Andy Johnson. Big thanks to John Bodenhammer, Julie Inkster, Lucy Lee, Harper and Cindy Clements, and Kiara and Rick Romero. And thanks as well to the NCGA for just letting me walk around the qualifier with a microphone. That was nice. So we'd love to know what you think of Friday Egg Stories. Feel free to reach out on Twitter or Instagram, or maybe leave a rating and review on iTunes. Thanks for listening. Very good. Uh, one thing, how many? Hold on. And how old uh, are you? Nine. How old are you? Seven, six. So when she was six, she got her first hole in one, and she got one every year for the next seven years. No kidding. Yeah, so she's got like, how many? I have nine. Nine hole-in-ones. <laughs> how does that happen? Yeah. I've never heard of anything like it. <laughs> wait, wait. So you got your first hole-in-one you when you were six. Yeah. yeah. And, this was and like, then you got another one when you were seven. Eight. Yeah. Nine. And then I think I had two when I was 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. And you've kept the streak going your 15-year-old year. No, I haven't had one. Heavy. I haven't had one when I was 15, but up to 14, I've had one every year. I'm sure it's coming.